gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Karazov Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The Phantom Zone, home of Krypton's worst criminals. But what would happen if they escaped and found themselves on a planet whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave them fantastic superpowers? Especially when they also put Superman in the Phantom Zone in the process. It's Kryptonian criminals versus the world's greatest superheroes, while Superman tries to get back to Earth. Charlie's Geek Cast presents The, the Phantom, Phantom Zone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 24 of Charlie's Geek Cast. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we conclude our month long Charlie's Geek Cast Superman and the Bronze Age crossover, looking at the Phantom Zone miniseries by checking out issue number four. And since I'm recording this way in advance again, I still don't have feedback to look at this time, so here's a couple promos, and we will be right back. Charlie's Geek Cast will be back after these messages. The Bronze Age of Comics, an era largely ignored as far as Superman goes, and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age, featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the Amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weeder also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. <coughs> <coughs> no, 
No, no, that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? We now return to Charlie's Keycast. All right, Superman presents The Phantom Zone number four. Had a cover date of April 1982 with an on sale date of January 21st, 1982, and a cover price of 60 cents in the US and 20p in the UK. The title of this issue is The Phantom Planet. Written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Tony DeZanuga, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Carl Gafford, and edited by Dick Giordano, and Superman, of course, was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. It's 2 a.m. in Metropolis, and Wendy Why Bother and the Nouns are putting on a concert as part of the musical cultural movement known as Bizarro. In attendance are Azrael and Nadira, who are walking through the crowd and spot a man cutting his own hand while singing that he ain't got no feelings. Annoyed, Nadira takes the knife and stabs it at her neck, causing it to shatter on her tough skin. Ticked off at being shown up, the man starts throwing beer bottles at the pair, and it isn't until one actually connects, because he throws beer bottles about as well as a stormtrooper shoots the rebels, but it isn't until the beer bottle actually shatters on Azrael's head that the pair actually start taking notice. And using their special powers, they cause the man to burst painfully into flame, leaving behind nothing but ash and a pair of weird-looking glasses. The crowd, having watched all this, attack the Kryptonians out of fear, to which Azrael and Nadira respond by causing them all to burn, unintentionally using their heat vision to give, it, to give things a little punch. Amidst all the flames, the pair state that they would have no problem letting the other one die, and in fact, Azrael gives Nadira permission to kill him should she feel the urge. Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet offices in the WGBS building, Batman compares notes with Perry White to learn the connection between Jerem and the apartment that they met at. Eventually, Perry remembers that Charlie himself was Kryptonian, at which point Batman leaves and uses his JLA signal device to contact the rest of the League. Of course, we know that this is pointless since the JLA satellite is currently speeding out of our solar system, but fortunately, Wonder Woman and Green Lantern are still on Earth and are able to pick up the signal and make their way to New York, with Wonder Woman bringing Namek in her invisible jet and Green Lantern in a jet on loan from Ferris Aircraft. Back in Perry's office, Supergirl is now trying to track down Batman, and after learning what Perry and Batman had discussed, she flies off, realizing that more villains escaped the zone than she had originally thought, and that if Batman also realized the same thing, he would have called the rest of the JLA. So with that, she too heads to New York. On the other side of the world, a shepherd named Gerard Amateo spots a set of clothes placed on a rock in his pasture. Once he starts hearing a female voice singing a song in a language he's never heard before, he decides to investigate and finds Feora bathing in a pond. 
which he decides to watch. Uh, picking up his heartbeat with her super hearing, she acknowledges him with an unselfconscious glance, which he interprets which he interprets as an invitation to join her. So, removing his boots, but leaving the rest of his clothes on, because, you know, skinny dipping, only women need to do that, I guess, uh, he joins her in the pond, joining in a passionate embrace. And as they make out, she holds him close to her, squeezing him tighter and tighter, until his spine breaks, and his ribs are crushed. As his lungs fill with blood, she watches him sink slowly into the water. Then, as she proceeds to get dressed, the ground beneath her feet trembles, so she takes off to space to join General Zod and the others at the Phantom Zone cannon that, they're, that they've built. After all, she doesn't want to be on Earth when it completes its rotation and completely enters the Phantom Zone. Speaking of the Phantom Zone, Superman and Charlie Queskel have penetrated to the very core of the zone, into the thing called Aether, the Oversoul, and are currently chained up by their feet, powerless, hanging over some nasty-looking liquid and surrounded by some wicked-looking creatures. After Charlie points out to Superman that Aether has restored his memories and that he knows he is Quexel, a creature rises from the liquid beneath them, telling them that the entities known as Superman and Quexel have ceased to exist, and that their spiritual forces must now merge with the Oversoul. At which point, the two start melting, and their liquid forms now flow into the liquid below and at this point the liquid appears to get flushed as if down some kind of a drain or a toilet and is spewed out into what appears to be a city street at this point our heroic puddles resume their human forms but for some reason they're now wearing each other's clothing at that point, Superman guesses that this is an attempt to keep Quexel confused, but Quexel has finally figured out what is going on. Aether couldn't just take their souls, he had to weaken them. He's weakened Quexel's by giving him back his memory and powers, and weakened Superman's by dividing his attention between worrying about Quexel and trying to get out of the zone, and also with Zod and crew messing around on Earth. When the creature from the water attacks the pair, Quexel takes off, knowing that Superman is too distracted to win the battle. So he flies directly into the creature's mouth, sacrificing himself to save Superman and Earth. As his costume drifts back down to him, Superman realizes what has happened and swears that Charlie's sacrifice will not be in vain. Using the loathing, contempt, and rage he now feels to give him an extra boost, Superman takes off at full power, busting into the skull of the creature, which acts as a portal through the mind of the Oversoul. Inside, Superman ignores all that is around him and proceeds on his path until finally... At long last, he shatters the other side of Aether's crystalline casing, then finds himself flying through a rent in the fabric of space itself, exiting the zone and heading back towards Earth. In New York, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Supergirl meet up at the JLA teleport tube, but it isn't working. Just then, Manhattan is rocked by a violent quake, which causes GL to tell Supergirl that they need the other JLA members now. Using her supervision to spot the satellite, she spots the Phantom Zone cannon instead and zooms off towards it. Flying in from the other direction, Superman sees Earth dissolving away, sees the cause, and flies at it, causing the Super Cousins to slam into the cannon at the same time, destroying it. Then Supergirl grabs JL's power battery and hurls it toward New York, where, somehow, Wonder Woman catches it and hands it to its rightful owner. While he makes his oath, Superman and Supergirl make short work of Cruel, Jaxer, and Professor Vacox, 
leaving JL to collect them in a ring construct cage while Superman and Supergirl head after Zod and Feora, who have decided to fly back down to Metropolis and cause all kinds of destruction. Below, Nadira and Azrael witness the destruction and decide that this is a good time to repay Zod and Feora for their treatment of them. First up, Azrael causes Feora to burn, turning her turning her into a human comet that splashes into the Metropolis River. Nadira causes Zod to convulse, causing him to crash into a daily planet truck. When Feora climbs out of the water, Supergirl is waiting and knocks her out with but one punch. At the daily planet truck, Superman is waiting when Zod emerges. Superman tells him that he's going to pay for what he's done, including the death of Quexel, but Zod ignores him due to his code against killing, at which point Superman lays into him, pointing out that while he won't take Zod's life, his code says nothing about battering him to within an inch of it, at which point Superman finally knocks him out with a final punch. Across town, aboard Nadira and Azrael are drawn by a strange green glow in a dark alleyway. As they near it, they begin to hurt and feel weak, and see that the source of the glow is a chunk of kryptonite, currently in the possession of Jerem, who's using it as his way to go to Rao. He grabs Nadira so that she can join him, causing her to collapse onto the kryptonite. Azrael, Azrael runs away, but runs into Superman, who punches him in the face. Azrael asks him to help Nadira, but Nadira doesn't want help, and in a fit of anger, causes both Superman and Azrael to convulse. While both double over in pain, it also the convulsions also trigger Azrael's pyrotic power, causing him to burn down to a pile of ash. Once that fire has died down, Superman sees that both Jerem and Adira have succumbed to the kryptonite poisoning. Back in New York, Superman and Supergirl join the other heroes, and the Emerald Gladiator then makes a ring construct Phantom Zone projector and uses it to send the surviving criminals back to the zone. With that, Superman flies off to retrieve the JLA satellite, but while he wouldn't talk about it, Superman will always remember what happened in the zone, every night at twilight, when the demarcation between the tactile world and the hell that swallowed Quexel's soul is so suddenly blurred. Alright, well let's do a couple more promos and we'll look at the notes for the issue. Charlie's Geekcast will be back after these messages. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Niemeyer and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? What? Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, 
but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I've been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. We now return to Charlie's Keycast. Alright, first off, I want to point out the cover, since I haven't done a very good job of pointing those out. Basically, this actually shows what happens, something that happens in the issue. Uh, Superman and Quexel are in their different costumes, and the big beast creature is about to attack them. So, it's pretty dynamic, it looks really nice, uh, but, you know, it just doesn't look much different than anything else in the issue, so we'll just keep moving on. Now, page one, they mentioned the Bizarro Movement. Now, let me point, see what this is. Apparently, it originated in Metropolis, naturally. And its basic tenet asserts that anyone born after 1961 is an imperfect duplicate of a human being. And if you have to ask what that means, you were probably born before 1961. So, let's see, this is 1982, so basically anyone over the age of 29, uh, which apparently is the difference between man and, or old man and young man back in these days, because I know that the whole idea was, despite what he looks like when certain artists draw him, Superman is supposed to be an eternal 29-year-old pre-crisis. So, yeah. But I thought it was kind of cool that there's a Bizarro movement. It's never mentioned anywhere else. That would have been really cool to keep or to reintroduce post-crisis. Maybe they can still do it now that there's a Bizarro um, in the New 52, but who knows. Page 5. I find it interesting that with all of the stuff in Batman's utility belt, it's the symbol, it's the bat symbol on his chest that he uh, is used to contact the JLA. It, I mean, it makes sense, yes, but you'd think it'd be something in his belt. Perhaps the buckle, like Superman's. Uh, let's see. Page 6. We see, we see that Green Lantern has borrowed a jet from Ferris Aircraft. I wonder how he was able to borrow that without arousing suspicions of his secret identity. But then I also wonder if maybe at this point Carol Ferris knows his secret identity at this point. I don't know exact... I'm not as 
up on Green Lantern history, especially Hal Jordan history, uh, like I am Superman or Kyle Rayner. But I do know that by 84, 83, 84, when Len Wein and Dave Gibbons start their run on the book, that Carol knows his secret identity at that point and that she had known about it before. So she may know, which probably would be make it a lot easier for him to borrow a plane. Page 7. For the people who haven't spent much time together since the Silver Age, Supergirl sure does know how Batman thinks. She just assumes that if Batman has figured out that there's more than just one or two Kryptonians, that he's going to contact the JLA, so, he needs to go to, so she needs to go to New York. Granted... I would like to think that if I was in her situation, I would think the same thing too. This may be one of those uh, she figures it out due to convenience of plot, but whatever. Uh, let's see, page nine. Uh, by the way, then uh, this is for you, any of you youngsters out there. Uh, when a woman breaks a guy's spine while they're making out, that's a major turnoff. Anyway, page 16, jumping all the way to 16. The pre-crisis Superman usually does a really good job of keeping his temper in check because he doesn't want to act out rashly with, you know, with all the power he possesses. But here, he finally gets to really cut loose and not, uh, not only escape the zone, but also use it to take out the other zoners once he gets back to Earth. So that's pretty cool, if you ask me. Uh, page 19. Supergirl's aim is amazing. She is floating beyond Earth orbit. And she takes Green Lantern's power battery and throws it. And it, not only does it get to New York, but it gets to the exact place that Wonder Woman's standing so she can catch it. Granted, she's got super aim, but still. Uh, page 21. Finally, we see the Kryptonians causing a bunch of destruction, just like I was hoping to see. For one whole panel. Hmm. And page 26. We kind of get a somber ending to the story, but, you know, then again, I, considering Quetzal died and all the other stuff that happened during the story, there really wasn't a way to have a happy ending. Other than the fact that Superman survived and he's back on Earth. I don't know how you would have a happy ending. But overall, while this was a very entertaining issue, it seemed to suffer from some pacing problems. Once Superman f exits the Phantom Zone, it seems like the final battle was rushed and things had to be crammed into the last few pages. Not to mention that we really didn't get much of Superman's reaction to either Quexel's death or to his time in the Zone. Sure, Supergirl mentions that he was quiet, but because of the way that the pacing was with the last few issue pages, Superman appeared to be on Earth maybe half an hour, and some of that was in space where he couldn't talk anyway. So it kind of is difficult to say he that he wouldn't. What would he just consistently talk the whole time? I find that weird. Uh, however. I still like the art, and this time it didn't seem quite as muddy as it was before. For whatever reason. I mean, sure, there's places where it is, but overall it seemed a lot less muddy and murky than it had been. So that's pretty cool. 
Wow, this was quick. Uh, that's it for my notes. So I'm going to play a couple more promos, and we'll take a look at the ads. Charlie's Geekcast will be back after these messages. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to, from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to charlie's geekcast okay our ads begin in the inside front cover where we have a prize one of those prizes for cash or i'm sorry prizes or cash uh you know where you sell stuff and you get prizes uh one of the things that i see in here that is kind of important to me is a ColecoVision. Now, in these pre-Nintendo days, there were a lot of video game systems. The most, the biggest ones were, of course, like the Ataris, the Intellivision, etc. The ColecoVision was one of the, well, in my personal opinion, was one of the better ones. The graphics were a step up from the Atari stuff, uh, much closer to what they were putting in, actually getting in arcade machines at the time. The reason it stands apart for me is because we actually had one when I was a kid. We had three games. Donkey Kong, which I hated because I couldn't get past the first level. Smurfs, which I played on the easiest level and at three years old, even though this was when this came out when I was two, but I had it when I was three. At three years old, you could I could literally just 
do it have him jump have the smurf jump through the whole thing and just continuously play the game never died never lost and would continue to beat the level and rescue smurfette over and over again it was my favorite game as a kid the last one was called gorf i believe which was basically kind of a a, a space invader type thing but taken to a, a second level instead of just you know having the aliens come down and you move your ship side to side to shoot them that was just one of the levels one had the ships swirling towards you as you're going through some kind of like space warp another one uh at the, in the final level what involved a, a, a giant spaceship and you had to shoot the sh uh, shoot holes in the shielding around it, then shoot through several spots in the ship itself to get to the core. And once you hit the core, you won, and then the game started over. It only had like four, maybe five levels, and then it would start over again if you beat the ship. But yeah, I liked that. Uh, I miss my ColecoVision. Let's see, the next ad is uh, the magic in gum is bubble yum. And it's a bubble gum yet, bubble yum. But yeah, it's a bubble yum bubblegum ad, and this is the one with the magic trick showing you how you can pull the trick of hiding the gum in your hand. Um, I think we've seen that before. Uh, the next page, the top half, is a grit ad uh, getting f looking for a few good boys and girls uh, to sell some grit. And the bottom half is basically a, a list of some of the independently owned comic stores around the country uh i say around the country this um it only lists comic book stores in arizona arkansas california colorado florida mississippi missouri new mexico tennessee and texas and because texas is well everything's bigger in texas uh texas has the most uh stores like half the half the page is texas stores and just about all the others have maybe one so, although it is kind of cool that in Tennessee there's a place called Comics and Records. Um, back in the days when people bought records. I used to buy records. Anyway, uh, moving right along, the next one is a hodgepodge ad, basically to buy, you know, the gag gifts and the x-ray glasses and stuff like that. And the spy pin radio. The next ad page is another hodgepodge ad selling a bunch of stuff from grab bag, comic grab bags uh, to learning the guitar to getting tropical fish, that kind of thing. Uh, the next is a house ad showing what appears to be a page from a Swamp Thing comic because Swamp Thing is back because you demanded it the triumphant return of comicdom's most honored adventure series soon to be a major motion picture from avco embassy an all-new epic written by martin pasco illustrated by tom yates edited by lynn ween the first issue shambles your way Septem september february 11th join us from the beginning we promise you won't regret it and if you want to hear some reviews of some of these early issues of Swamp Thing. Make sure you go over to Two True Freaks. I believe they reviewed some of the early stuff on their Comics Monthly Monday series. They don't really talk about it much now, but they got all the way through the Martin Pasco issues, all the way up into the Alan Moore issues, I believe. But uh, you can learn more about this series there. 
Uh, let's see. The next ad page is another house ad for three, well, actually four, sensational comics. A unique experience. Arion, Lord of Atlantis, now every month in the pages of The Warlord. Prehistoric myth and magic live again in a stunning new series. So this is where he started up. Also, a 40th anniversary spectacular, The Amazing Amazon, side-by-side -side with a gallery of DC's greatest heroines for a supersized three-issue novel. Looking for the special cover starting on sale February 4th. And let's see if I can see who all is in here. Looks like I see specifically Supergirl. Looks like Black Canary. Raven, Starfire, Batgirl, Power Girl. That might be Zatanna. It's kind of hard because they've taken some of the art from the issue and shrunk it. Uh, I think one of them is Mira from Aquaman. And I can't tell who some of the others are due to the art being cut off. But yeah. Oh, and of course, Wonder Woman. And then, at the bottom, this month, dial twice for thrills and adventure. First, the Man of Steel teams up with the simply sensational all-new heroes you can create uh, in DC Comics Presents, where he teams up with Dial H for Hero. Then, the hero dialers burst in onto the scene in every issue of Superboy. And it's Dial H for Hero, where Dial H is, of of course, the backup feature in the new Adventures of Superboy. The DC Comics Presents goes on sale January 7th and Superboy on January 28th. And that's it. Uh, let's see. Moving right along. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, we're already at the inside back cover where we have another prizes or cash from a different company, but this time selling different things. And you get different prizes, none of which is a ColecoVision, uh, but there is a Coleco Telstar video game, so that's a little different, I think. There is an Electronic Space Invader, which actually looks more handheld, so that's kind of interesting. And the back page is an ad for monogram models, the uh, such as the Hotbird Trans Am that you would have seen in Smokey and the Bandit, a big bruising Bronco four-wheeler, black with red, yellow, and orange striping because the early 80s was nothing if not ugly. A Corvette Stingray, an all-time favorite and hot red with gold-colored wheels and black and yellow marking because, again, it was ugly. There's also some purple in there. And the tough and terrific Turbo Mustang in screaming yellow with a black and orange and red decal. Again disgusting looking car and not the sleek kind of sports car you would imagine when th look, thinking about a Mustang. Wow. But that's it for the ads. Um, next, let's take a look at the other books that came out this month. Uh, let's see. Other DC Comics issues with a cover date of April 1982, sorted alphabetically. Action Comics number 530. I believe this is the conclusion to a Superman Brainiac story. Uh, let's see. I believe this is where Superman ends up having to revert the pro uh, reprogramming he had performed on Brainiac. So Brainiac becomes evil again. This 
might be the last time we see him before he becomes the robot. Plus, there's an Aquaman and Atom team up in the backup feature. Uh, All-Star Squadron number 8 continues the uh, uh, story where they're having to deal with assassins, apparently. It's hard to tell, but apparently a lot of guys in there. Oh, and they have to save Churchill. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Batman number 346. Batman becomes half a hero, where he's dealing with Two-Face. Plus, there's a Catwoman backup feature. Uh, best of DC Digest number 23, the year's best comic stories, features stories starring Batman, Captain Marvel, Sergeant Rock, the Teen Titans, uh, Jonah Hex, Green Lantern Corps, Crimson Avenger, Tales of Gotham City, and of course, Superman, with a lovely looking cover by George Perez and Dick Giordano. 148 prize winning pages. Wonder who votes on these best of things. Brave and the Bold number 185 has Batman and apparently Robin teaming up with Green Arrow. And in the backup feature, Nemesis. And at this point, it's kind of rare, I believe, to see a cover that isn't by Jim Aparo, but this is a Rich Buckler, Dick Giordano cover. I mean, it looks cool. It's just kind of surprising. Then, of course, the second issue of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, where they meet Armadillo. Can't make that stuff up, folks. Cannot make it up. DC Comics Presents number 44 is that issue I mentioned earlier. Uh, a 25-page thriller. Superman and the Dial H for Hero team up against the man who created villains. What if that means a bad guy got a hold of it? Uh, let's see. Now, I don't know if you all ever have read the book called Dark Mansions of Forbidden Love, but three novel-length stories are collected in DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number 20. Although, technically, the third story is a Madame Xanadu story, so I don't know how much that counts. I think I saw some of those issues when I first started my Superman of the Bronze Age show. It was one of the horror comics coming out at that time. Anyway. Next up is Detective Comics number 513, which apparently continues the story from Batman. Uh, the title of the story is, is Better Than None. And it looks like uh, Two-Face is Batman. And there's a Batgirl backup feature. The Flash. Um, has some kind of ugly art on the cover. Uh, with the Flash dealing with the good, the bad, and the beautiful. And Dr. Fate deals with the dawn of the sixth sun. In the backup feature. Uh, let's see. Green Lantern number 151. Uh, resolutions. And judging by the cover, it's quite obvious to me that Carol knows that Hal Jordan is Green Lantern, as she says on the cover, I love you, Hal, but if you must leave, my heart will be with you forever. I believe that this is where Hal Jordan has to start his one-year 
uh, exile from Earth, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, and, of course, there's a Green Lantern Corps backup. Uh, Justice League of America number 201, where the Justice League have to go up against Ultra. With the story with art by Don Heck and Bob Smith, which kind of stinks because the cover's by George Perez and Dick Giordano, which is kind of false advertising, unfortunately. No offense, Don. Legion of Superheroes number 286. Uh, looks like I have no idea who they're fighting. But Sunboy against some dude in some kind of golden, shiny armor. And the title is Old Friends, New Relatives, and Other Corpses. And a second story, Clown for the Princess. With a, And the cover's by Pat Broderick. I didn't know he did much Legion stuff. So maybe, I, don't know, I still don't, because this is just a cover. Anyway, uh, The New Adventures of Superboy number 28. Superboy, our son, the super betrayer. And it looks like he's going to go off to live with some other Kryptonians who are wearing costumes very similar to Zan and Jaina. And of course, uh, starting in this issue is the Dial H for Hero backup feature, which we won't mention much of again because it's Dial H for Hero, and this was not a good time for Dial H for Hero. Anyway, New Teen Titans number 18. Uh, the title of the story is A Pretty Girl is Like a Malady. And it's Malady is spelled weird, so I don't know. Uh, let's see. And I'm not sure what all's going on here, but someone is using a, a column from a building to kind of beat up Starfire, and Robin's trying to stop him. Uh, Superman number 370, the f first story features Superman versus Chemo, deadlier than ever. And the backup story is uh, Superman the In-Between Years, which, try which attempts to bridge some of the gap between Superboy's time in Smallville and Superman's time in Metropolis. Uh, this would take place during Clark's college years at Metropolis University. And most of that actually kind of made sense. It uh, kind of gets re retconned by the secret years, but this is basically the start of that. Uh, let's see. And Superman Family, starring the Golden Age Superman, where Superman fights against some kind of man of metal. And there's also a Supergirl story, a Jimmy Olsen story, and a Lois Lane story. And seen for probably... One of the few times since the Golden Age is the classic uh, Golden Age Superman logo, including that Joe Schuster image of Superman breaking the chains against his chest. So that's kind of cool to see. Oh, let's see. And two more issues this month starring the superheroes, because I don't want to go into everything. Wonder Woman number 290. Panic over Pennsylvania Avenue, where Wonder Woman uh, looks like she's fighting the Silver Swan and Captain Wonder over the city of D.C. And the Huntress has a backup story in here. 
and World's Finest Comics. First of all, it has a beautiful cover by George Perez and Romeo Tangau. Never underestimate the powers of Perez. Uh, Superman and Batman are in, assault, are in an assault on Thanagar. So it looks like Superman, Batman, and Hawkman are in the main story. Green Arrow is in here, the Archer and the Assassin. Zatanna has a dog day afternoon, and Captain Marvel fights the power of darkness. And that's it. That's April 1982. And if, I, if you remember from last time, I did say I do have an announcement to make. Well, it's with a heavy heart that I must announce that I'm going to be closing up shop on Charlie's GeekCast, at least for now. Basically, my day jobs become increasingly busier, leaving me less time to actually work on my two shows, and I've been putting myself under just too much stress to keep both shows running on time, uh, so something had to give, and it's this show, Charlie's GeekCast. So, in two weeks, I'll release the last regular episode of the show where I'll say a proper goodbye. I just wanted to let you all know what was going on. And But until then, I hope you all have a happy Halloween. And if you're not in the States, I hope you enjoy any holiday that you celebrate between now and then. And uh, I'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. This has been an episode of Charlie's GeekCast, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. The show's website is www.charliesgeekcast.com, where you'll find notes and images for each episode. Please feel free to leave a comment there or email the show at charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, and I'll read them on the air. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. I also have another show called Superman of the Bronze Age, where I cover Superman comics published between 1970 and 1986. You can find that at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com. Charlie's GeekCast is an I Don't Have a Fake Company name production. All images and music used are copyright their respective copyright holders. Thank you for listening, and God bless. our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones, on demand, and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.